listening to the Hard Liquor Hunting Stories Podcast. Proudly brought to you by Bolt Action Coffee, Safari Club International, Calgary Chapter, and Best Satin Barbers. Production assistance provided by Fighting Spirit Productions. Now, kick back with a cold one, relax, and enjoy our show. Welcome, 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 everybody. You're listening to the Hard Liquor and Hunting Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Fushko. And I'm his co-host, Blair McGregor. And today, we're joined by our, our good friend, Hunter, YouTube host, Steve Gow. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. And we're joined by our lovely bartenderess, Cassandra. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, fantastic. Uh, for those of you listening at home, if you want to drink along with us, or if you're somewhere safe and you can't and you want to save it for later... Cassandra, what are we drinking today? We are drinking a spiced old fashioned. So you're going to start with, honestly, choose the size of cup you would like to have as much liquor as you want. But you're going to take an ounce of apple cider liqueur, pour that in the glass, put a few splashes of bitters in there, and then add your bourbon, if you choose, or whiskey in about two ounce ratio to it. Give it a stir, add an orange peel for a garnish, and you're good to go. Well, I must say they do taste fantastic. They uh, they taste like Christmas in a glass, and I'm very much looking forward to Christmas. But before that comes hunting season, and I look forward to that even more. So, back to back to our wonderful, beautiful, super handsome guest, Steve Gow. Steve, what can you tell us about yourself, man? I'd like to mention first of all that Mark literally sent me a script of probing questions as I was driving up. So. Very little time to prepare. You could have just said nothing. <laughs> you could have said nothing. Yeah. That would have been better, but thank you. Yes, yes. Uh, people who, well, I find you get better answers when people are prepared. But hey, why not? So tell, Steve, tell us about yourself, man. Come on. Well, I'm a, as Mark said, I'm an Afghan veteran. I uh, went to Afghanistan in 2008 with Mark, actually. So we've got a bit of history together. And uh, me and Blair have actually uh, been roommates before we went to school together. So we go back a long ways. I am a lawyer. I recently uh, transitioned into a new role, marketing, uh, at a software company because I found that law was not not for me. Um, and of interest, I am also an avid hunter and uh, out of my passion for hunting and barbecue and cooking meat that I have harvested and uh, hunted myself, I started a YouTube channel called Smoke Trails Barbecue. And the channel is all about elevating your barbecue skills uh, regardless of what type of meat you're using, whether it's game meat or whether it's meat you buy from the store. It's all about taking it and making something delicious so you can nourish your friends and family and make something truly awesome. Well, that's that's fantastic. Blair, what do you, what do you think of Steve's show? Oh, Steve does a good job of teaching the layman barbecue. Like if you come out of nowhere, you can learn barbecue with Steve Cow. That sounds like the weakest testimonial that I well, ever. Yeah, I gotta say that doesn't fill I, I me with say, a lot I, of. Uh, okay, well, that doesn't fill I, me I with know, a lot of hope to get good barbecue if I would go over to Steve's house. Well, me and Steve made a lot of barbecue together. Uh, like just last September, we uh, we competed together in barbecue on the bow. Right, I, I recall. I went and visited you guys, and it was super rainy that day. Tell tell me what what was it like competing in barbecue, Steve? 
Yeah, it was actually super challenging. I think we, I came up with the idea that I wanted to compete in a barbecue competition probably about a month before we actually did it. So I had to gather my A team together, which consisted of Blair (laughs) and my dad, uh, because those were the only people that were around and, you know, spending a whole bunch of money, getting the equipment together and figuring out what to do what the competition rules were and then actually setting up and uh, turning in on time. It was probably one of the more challenging things I've ever done. And (laughs) probably, you know, as a result of that lack of preparation, I don't think our our scores were very high. I think we did good in in maybe pork or something, but... uh, We did great in pulled pork and we didn't get disqualified in any category. That's true. That was a win. Yeah, so, but, so you know, maybe that if that was venison or game meat, we would have we would have done better. It was Kansas City rules, I think. It was yep. yeah, Kansas City barbecue. So, Kansas City. Yeah. So, what is Kansas City barbecue for those uh, those listening who may not know? Kansas City barbecue. I mean, it really you kind of have to define it in terms of what other barbecue is. In Canada, we're very used to thinking of barbecue in terms of grilling on a gas grill, but in the southern United States, where barbecue is super popular and has has its origin barbecue actually refers to cooking meat low and slow over a pit uh using using wood and really the wood defines the regionality and the type of barbecue so in central texas you you have post oak is the really defining wood and the characteristic of of uh of barbecue there and the meat that they cook is brisket brisket is the king of barbecue in central texas and so like post oak is that like fence post oak? <laughs> no, it's it's just <laughs> fence post. Oh my it's god! It's a type of it's just a type of really hard oak that is really uh, prevalent in in central Texas. It grows everywhere. Oh man, that's that's my farm boy heritage. Where I thought like, oh, it's good use of old posts. Yeah, you can just smoke <laughs> with anything you want. Right? <laughs> oh, well, man. in Alberta, in Alberta, we actually we don't have any native hardwoods here. So there's there's literally nothing, no wood in Alberta uh, naturally growing here that you can use for barbecue. Yeah, I don't know if you'd want to cook over pine. Might, no, uh, you definitely leave wouldn't. some odd flavors <laughs> there. So talking about your barbecue game, how how do you bring that into when you're going to cook wild game? Like, what is your approach when you do wild game? I think that a lot of the techniques, uh, which are basically culinary techniques in barbecue, are transferable to to game because it's really about a few different things. You're trying to uh, retain moisture in the meat because game meat is typically super, super lean, doesn't have a lot of fat content in it. That means your margins for error are, are very sh- are very slim. So you need to cook it to the right temperature, which is very important in barbecue as well. You need to uh, keep your, your timing in mind and you need to apply the right amount of smoke you need to wrap it at a certain time to pre- preserve moisture. So a lot of the same culinary techniques that you use in barbecue are, are super important to cooking awesome game meat as well. Awesome. Well, going back to that sheet that you so eloquently chirped <laughs> at the start here. Um, so what's your favorite game to barbecue with? Or are there some meats that you find are better for the kind of barbecue you do? Is there some stuff that's less good? My personal favorite game meat to cook and whether it's barbecuing or smoking it or sous viding it or any sort of cooking at all is probably white-tailed deer backstrap i think that's kind of the quintessential when someone talks about venison deer meat to me i think of that you know like i i do all my butchering myself so i think back to 
just cutting that backstrap off of the deer and then, you know, taking it to the table, cutting it in perfectly medallion shaped steaks and then frying it up on the grill. And that's just like, it brings back a lot of memories and it's, it's super good because that is essentially the ribeye of a deer, right? Like ribeye is mm-hmm. yeah, the king definitely. of grilling yeah. and that's why backstrap is, is super tender and awesome. Tenderloin is is good, but I, I personally like backstrap myself. So, so, what kind of flavors do you like to hit the backstrap with? Like a lot of people like to use these really earthy, weird flavors for game meat. Like they think like, oh, smoke it with juniper, or like put like cumin, or or all these different uh, exotic spices on it because it it or nutmeg because it it brings out the flavor or accentuates the game meat better. But I like to just cook it the way that I would cook good barbecue, which is like if you're cooking beef, you go heavy on the salt and pepper. If you're cooking pork, you go heavy on sugar because that goes really well with pork. So when I'm cooking venison, it's it's salt, it's pepper, and I like to keep it very simple. There's not much else that I add to it. So since this is the Hard Liquor and Hunting Stories podcast, what do you sip on when you're doing your barbecue? Do you have a <laughs> do you have a different beverage of choice depending on what you're barbecuing, what you're doing? I do, and I think like I think beer is what I th- is my go-to when I'm barbecuing because a I just I just like beer because it's easy drinking, and b when you're cooking something low and slow for 12 to 15 hours. You can't be drinking, you know. <laughs> yeah, you, you need something that you can drink for twelve to fifteen hours. Oh yeah, man, that's yeah. a that's a pretty long session. Yeah, I can imagine if you had a forty Arayo, you could get in trouble, fall asleep, forget. Yeah, yeah but that is yeah. that's that's the best part of barbecue is you're sitting by the pit and you're. So for those of you that are uninitiated, the pit means your your barbecue, your grill. Uh, in my in my case, it's like cooking over live fire and charcoal, but it's just quintessentially barbecue to me is like sitting by the pit having a beer and just watching the smoke watching your fires and watching your temperatures and just like having having a chill well i think that's kind of the point because i know when i barbecue it's so i can sit and drink beer and the wifey will be like oh no, I'm cooking all day. I'm doing my job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Working so hard, just hanging out, getting sun-fucked and drinking beer. Fantastic. I, there's definitely a certain element of that. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm doing something productive, so I feel good about myself. And I don't have to, I, oh, you want me to like put that new drywall up? No, I'm barbecuing. Yeah, sorry. I'm oh, I guess dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trying yeah. to make dinner here. I can't, I can't do two things at once. So... We've covered we've covered your barbecue channel. We've covered a little bit about your personal background, Steve. Now you've had you've had some hard liquor. You've had some of our fantastic um, old fashions here. Would you care to share a hunting story with us? What is your, what is your favorite well, hunting experience? <laughs> well, you before, have one. before yeah, okay. Steve talks about hunting, like Steve, you didn't grow up hunting. No, you you like, oh, this is, I like where this you going. don't. You started hunting as an adult man. Yeah, like. I watch you first, like shoot your first deer, I, and bring it did home. You, I don't think you did, but no, no, you were no. I did not see you shoot that deer, one but I watched first, you butcher one of the first it. That I got, yeah. It was in our backyard when we were roommates together in university. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so <laughs> give us, give us a little like getting into the like it's, it's strange for me because I grew up around it, 
Yeah, no, that's a re- that's a really good question, actually. And uh, I I got into hunting. I did, as Blair said, I didn't grow up hunting. I got into hunting when I um, got back from Afghanistan, actually. And uh, when I got back from Afghanistan, there was um, a, there was it was pretty shocking. Like you get back from an environment where you're like all your buddies are around you. You have this like peer support everywhere you look, and suddenly you get back and like you're just alone in the world, right? Like nobody, nobody gives an F. Can we swear in this podcast? Yes, you can fucking swear. You can totally say fuck. Can I curse? You say no one gives a fuck. You can totally (laughs) say that. You can say that. Nobody gives a fuck about whether you succeed or you don't succeed. So it's like, it's really shocking. Like you're taken out of this almost like cloistered sort of protected environment and you're put into the the real world as it is. So (laughs) it, it was really like, it's almost like therapeutic to get out there with your buddies some of which like you were in battle with like in Afghanistan or in the military with and you go out hunting and like, you know, you can you can kind of decompress out there. And, and that's how I kind of got into it. Um, it was as like a mental health sort of thing for me and just hanging out with friends. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting question, though. I think that's how I got started. And then from then on out, I just loved it. Got my first deer. Got the bug butchered it and then you know i loved butchering it that's probably was my favorite part yeah i have a really fond memory actually when so we'd be like why oh we'd be we were like nine like 20 19 like we we're young we were like living together and i remember coming home like telling you before when i was in school like after class get that deer hanging up i'll show you how to butcher it and I came home, and you were wearing your apron, like the kitchen apron. And Did it say kiss the cook? And we, we'd had these deers, like, they were up in the trees in the backyard of the rental we were in. And uh, with only, like, a little like a tarp to keep the birds off. And, and I came home, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll teach Steve how to butcher this deer. And you already had it butchered. And you're wearing like the full eight. You're wearing like your 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 like little like kiss the cook style household apron and covered in blood. And you had the whole thing all butchered up. And on like sitting right beside the the gam was your phone. You're like, oh, I just watch a YouTube video. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was like, man, did, uh, did Steve just just teach him how to like butcher a whole deer and just did this this afternoon? Yeah. I don't know. That was, as that was like, it was a, it was a character. I'm like, oh, okay. So this guy just taught himself how to budget the deer and just did it. Yeah, and I remember, I remember two things vividly from that. I forgot about that experience actually, but I remember the birds because I it was my first kill, <laughs> and they're all over this carcass. So I had to go out every five minutes and shoo them off with a broom, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and the second thing is, yeah, it was it was my laptop open. Watching this YouTube video two minutes at a time about how to how to how to cut the and butcher the deer and like you know put your knife in this location and then slice down this way and I think I actually did a pretty good job and and then it was like okay where do I get rid of this carcass all of a sudden I had to like put it in garbage bags and go surreptitiously under cover of night dump it in a dumpster somewhere behind a Chinese restaurant or or something like that so yeah it was a it was a good experience but it was good eating too. Oh, and that worked. Uh, and it wasn't so, the first so game Steve carcass that went in that Chinese restaurant dumpster. <laughs> uh, no, it definitely wasn't. So, so Steve, would you say your first experience was your favorite? 
No, I I have a very uh, vivid experience in mind. Actually, I think it was. It, no. Well, we're we're all ears here. Yeah, tell us, man. <laughs> yeah, tell us. I uh, I would very I, much I'd have like to say to my my favorite hunting experience was we were out with uh, my my buddy Mike, our our collective friend Mike, and and Blair, and I think there was two others, Anthony and. Uh, oh, I know this story. Yeah, and uh, we we were out in in an area of uh, central southern Alberta, uh, just in in a hill hilly sort of crown land area, and. We, there was lots of mule deer out there. I had tags and uh, my friend had a moose tag, which was very interesting. So we were, we, were, we were cruising around and we found a good parking spot, went down a valley. And then I think it was Anthony that said, hey, come over here. So we, we walk over and I slowly walk over. And I was kind of a novice hunter at this point, but he's pointing at a pretty big sizable mule deer buck. It was a big muley. Um, had a pr- pretty pretty big rack. I don't remember how many points it was, but he he beckons me over and I and I slowly go over and he's like, "Look at this deer!" And before he could finish his sentence, I had already shot it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and so, but like, and, and really and, bad and, hunter, yeah. hunters. And Anthony for. was novice hunter too. Yeah. He's he's an RSB officer, but Just, I think that was the first time he'd been out deer hunting as well. Anthony. And that could have been his first year. Oh, a hundred percent. And you just, <laughs> and you just pushed him out of the way. It was so, it was Not bad. a sight picture and shot. Bad. Oh man. Was, that's pretty, what was the look on his face when you did that? I, I, I did. I was, I was too excited probably to even look at him. Um, but you know, like in, in retrospect, I look back and I'm like, that is the douchiest, stupid, like most inconsiderate thing ever to do. But in the moment you're like, Oh yeah, Anthony. Like you know, he was pointing out the deer for me to shoot. You know, that's what I was thinking in my <laughs> mind. He was your spotter. He was yeah. a fellow hunter. Uh, yeah. Moment. So it wasn't like a greed thing or anything. It was just purely like a just a inexperienced um, type of you Went know. The you black, just hadn't learned what the etiquette etiquette etiquette, yes. etiquette was yet. But yeah, so we, we got got that deer, tracked it for about three kilometers. It it like jumped through a stream up the other side. Apparently, I didn't you know. <laughs> get it in the kill zone (laughs) as it were but it it went pretty far but we tracked it down had a had a pretty prominent blood trail and uh and and we we, um we got it done we started butchering it and then at the same time concurrently while doing that mike got a a moose yeah in the same area with mike with the moose yeah so he he shot a moose and that was that was the longest night of my life just butchering that moose butchering the mule deer and then packing it up and down a valley, there's so, like coyotes yeah, we were about, out there. So you guys didn't, you guys weren't anywhere near a vehicle at this point. Yeah, where the so, like, the moose was shot seven k from the road. And uh, and and yeah. whereabouts in Alberta were you guys? We were. It was uh, so, Porcupine Hills. Porcupine Hills. Yeah, it was by Clarence. Okay, so a lot of crown land out that way. Yeah, yep. it's not like it, it's not like it's a honey hole. <laughs> yeah, no, there's no honey hole it's a there. Crown, it's, it's a crown uh, land. Uh, very very popular for moose and, and mule deer. So yeah, how did how did that? Too. So it was this really rough, raw kind of uh, I don't know. Do I say it's a manly experience? I don't know. I don't know. But and it, it's, it's just, an experience. Just a second, like maybe we should just explain Cranland. Well, Cranland for those who don't, don't know, if you're, know, if you're down, well, if you're from south of the border, it's essentially public land access. Yeah, well, Crown it's land, land owned by the queen. Yes, but you have use of it. Well, the anyway. queen owns it. We have use of it. Yes. Yeah. So, in layman's terms, you can hunt on crown land uh, without needing permission, as long as you're following all the regulations and and proper firearm safety and all that good yeah. stuff. 
um, you know, on, on crown leases, it's still crown land, but it's leased by someone. You're, you're supposed to give someone a, a phone call ahead of time to let them know. know yeah. They're, them. they're obligated to let you on it. If and they, you they can dictate the notice terms within though. their terms. Yeah. Cause well, it's the queen owns it. So it's the equivalent of in the U S public land. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So would you say that, uh, how did that shape your future hunting, Steve? Because you guys it kind of sounds like you had this raw experience where uh, I feel like I hear this story and I get back pain. Man, I don't that know. Is, I, I, I think that moose was shot at like 2 p.m. And I remember it being like in the truck finished at like 10, 30, 11 at night. No, it was, it was more like 3 in the morning, wasn't it? It, no. was, it was late. Oof. I don't it was know. Really late. Maybe I've blocked it out. That was the that was physically demanding. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I think at one point your body actually quit. Like you were just like physically done. I remember Mike had like all this deer meat stashed. He was wearing a, like a Canadian tuxedo, so full, full <laughs> jeans. And yeah, jacket. for our U.S. And listeners, all denim. Everybody knows. Yeah, yeah. For a U.S. listener, Canadian tuxedo is where you have jeans. And a jean jacket on. It's uh, it's the folk outfit of Canada, yes. my friend. And he had he had meat literally literally stashed on the inside and the outside yes. pockets no, of no, his he jacket. He had turned his jean jacket into a hobo bundle. Yeah, that he had the tenderloins. I use their backstrap. The tenderloins of that moose bundled in his jean jacket, thrown over his shoulder. Yeah, wow, that is it was fantastic. Crazy. But in terms of what, what, how did that shape my my hunting experience? In yeah, the what did you learn from that? It, yeah. it taught me don't ever shoot anything unless you have the means and the energy and and the ability to pack it out of the woods yeah. after, after you and the time too. Yeah, because that's when the work starts. Yeah, that's when the, the work best starts. part is pulling the trigger, and that's when the work starts. Exactly. Yeah, definitely the excitement can kind of get the best of you, and you don't really think of recovery in that moment. You're too exactly, uh, and especially when you have a limited time to hunt, as well. That really can affect. Well, it's just a push. I gotta get something. I gotta get something. No, it's mental, right? When you only have like, I took these two days off of work so I could have a four day weekend, and you hit the the end day of the four day weekend. It's it hits your psyche where you're like. Go go go! Go go yeah, go! Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. I have to go back to work. I have to I have to do this now. So how many how many years ago was that, Steve? Would you say? Oh wow, that was in two uh, thousand ten, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. So no, uh, it might have been longer than that. We were still in school. It it might have been like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, probably then. It, but n- near the end, two thousand. Yeah, so it was like ten or eleven years ago. So you guys were rifle hunting then? We were um, rifle hunting, yeah. With the season coming up, what's uh, what's your approach, your plan for this upcoming season? I, I have a mule deer tag. Yeah, you could try on. Yeah. Good work. Oh, right so on. It's a buck. Lucky you. And I am planning on attempting first to to take one with, with my bow. And exact same area, though. Same area, yeah. Yep. So I'm you know I'm confident that there is mule deer in the area. Oh, there is. And that WMU has mule deer. Yeah. And I know I know it pretty well, so I, I've uh, I've got my my ground blind. Just bought a new ground blind. I, I do have a hunting st- uh, stand. But, do you kind of uh, prefer the ground blind or the tree blind? Well, I mean, I I've always I'm used to hunting from the ground, and I like being okay. on the ground and and properly camouflaged. Being up in a tree, it feels like you're you can see more, but you're also way more exposed. And I always get the feeling that it's a, an inferior way of hunting, whether that's 
right or wrong. I just I just feel like you're you're just much more visible. Well, everyone Where, kind of has their pr- their preference, right? Yeah. And and I I'm gonna agree with you for our hunting in Canada where like they're the wilderness that we have. It's yes. cut lines. Yeah. hundred percent. Like I'm going to agree lines. with you. Yeah. Yeah. So you set up a stand on the edge of a cut line and, and like you just, you have a lot of visibility, but the deer has a lot of visibility on you too. So yeah, it's uh it definitely seems like kind of the, the sit and wait kind of game, right? Especially you got to have a lot of patience, especially with a bow and especially in a stand, right? Yeah. How about uh waterfowl hunting? I know you and I, we, We've gone on a few trips there, and uh, I remember you kind of linked it. You were doing Smoke Doc Tacos, I think, for your YouTube channel. Yeah, I did a... And, uh, yep. Or sorry, and I remember you got a lot of hate for that <laughs> at the time. Uh, I, did, I did get a lot of hate. Yeah, it was... Um, there, there's it was always... early season. It was for... Because we're in Canada. I don't know what latitude... Well, just, well, just let them send it. it yeah. it's, it's just the... It, you know, it's the PETA-type people that, that come out from... On, watching a youtube channel like why are they watching a duck taco game meat uh show in the first place but i thought you got some heat from like just down south yeah because like we we have a fall season and the bird season is different in different parts of north america oh it falls migration yeah yeah, yeah. and uh i remember you saying or commenting i said oh how are those tacos and you said dude i got so much hate from just randoms <laughs> yeah i mean but that is that is that- was that was earlier in my YouTube days. Now I'm just used to that. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> so would you? Like would that's, you s- that's a sign that you're doing well on YouTube when you get people like vehemently hating ah. you, because that means that like a lot of people are watching you. Yeah, I guess that's kind of one thing you got to kind of come to terms with when you post stuff online. Um, seldom are you going to get a comment. Most comments are often negative because people are fired up. And seldom are people are really fired negative up or really good. positive. Yeah. Okay. And and where would you say the majority of your viewers are from? Well, I know for a fact because I have detailed analytics on YouTube. Oh, okay, it's, right on. Yeah, cool. it's from uh, it's from Texas. Oh wow! So yeah. what do they what do they think of uh, a Canadian here in Alberta? I you barbecuing. know I get some flack. Like there's there's a couple camps of people. There's like the people that uh, you know put like uh, point jabs at me and they're like, oh, a Canadian using a you know, like an Australian smoker doing Central Texas barbecue or something, but they're still watching it. They're still liking it. Um, so I, I don't. I think that they. I think that they like it, and most people find it uh, that as long as the content is good, it doesn't matter who is talking about it. Um, you just have to be credible in the sense that you've done your research and you know what you're doing. Uh, so I think the 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 majority of people watching watching me look to me because my information is very accurate it's uh it's educational it's very straightforward and easy to follow it's not like colloquial sort of like some texas yeah, guy being like all right then you gotta put this in and it's like yeah you know, i notice you're very precise yeah 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 so like that obviously resonates with people and and they really don't care that i'm canadian is my perception well rock on man that's good so well, it uh, chaps them a little bit though so just a little bit, probably. but they get they get past it. But so you got to remember that my my viewers are not like old school hardcore barbecue for life people. They're like they're people because well, they don't have to watch you. They already know how to barbecue. Exactly. They don't, they don't, <laughs> for some reason, they still like to watch my channel and my my videos and just. Oh, so they just yeah, yeah they just watch you to chirp you. Okay. Yeah, but no, it's like it's it's mainly like people where I was like ten years ago, right when I was first starting and just passing on that knowledge. So so are we gonna are we gonna get out for some. For some waterfowl, maybe some upland this yeah, year. Yeah, abs- absolutely. As soon I'm, I'm gonna hard charge this year for waterfowl. Awesome. We're awesome. only a month away. Yeah, yeah it's fantastic. So, 
moving on from that. Oh, we're having a little bit of a headphone issue here. Anyway, so why did you decide to start a YouTube channel, Steve? Oh, good questions on this podcast. I, at the time when I started my YouTube channel, I was working in private practice in, in law and uh, I really did not like my, my job. I really did not like my career choice. I was working, you know, 20 hour days. I was not taking any time off seven days a week, 20 hours a day, sleeping at work and just, you know, uh, really having a bad time. And it wasn't what I expected when I when I got into law and I did all the schooling to, to get to that position. And uh, I really thought it would be this prestigious, high paying thing. But really, it just turned out to be a, like really like just you're trading in your life for for this prestige and a little bit more money. Right. So at, at the time, like the mindset I was in, I, I, like, I wasn't talking to my friends. It was very, very difficult to have any uh, time to myself. So uh smoking meat and uh, and hunting and and harvesting wild game and cooking that for myself and for my family was was something that was like you know me time and it was something that I could really just like chill out forget about work and and just have a good time doing and the YouTube stuff I just started one day filming myself because I wanted to be become better at hunting better at barbecue and I have always lived by the philosophy that if you want to learn something, you teach it. <laughs> so I started, I started just teaching what I was doing, even if it was the first time that I've ever done it, I started teaching it. And then lo and behold, I, I, that, that forced me to become really proficient in it and, and really know my stuff. So what was, what was the hardest part of creating a product like that, creating a channel like you have? The, I mean, it, it's a constant struggle and it, it's always a learning experience that you never just start something like that and you and break out with millions of, of subscribers every 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 day. Uh, it's it's a learning experience. And the hardest part is just to keep going. You just have to um, manage your expectations. And even though you might put out something that only gets 100 views and you might put out something that gets a million views. Like I, I have stuff out there that, that has like, you know, 500,000 views now. Um, oh, wow. so That's it's great. like providing a lot of value. Right. But, um, you, you just have to, you just have to, uh, keep playing the game and, 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 and you have to really enjoy doing it. Otherwise you're never going to stay in the game long enough to succeed. So but, yeah. Well, but what'd you tell like people that want to take what you just said at heart and go out there in the context of you have a lot of videos on your channel that I have watched and considered very useful, but they just, I don't know, they didn't hit the algorithm or, or whatever. And I think they're great videos, but no one watches them. Like what I can see that being discouraging for people that want to like go out and do the YouTube thing. What, what, yeah. Yeah. what advice? What, what advice? Exactly. I would say. Like, I, I, you have some great videos that are like, this is my favorite one and nobody watches. No, them. I hear what you're saying. Like, my, my advice would, would be like, do, do stuff like that, including hunting, including cooking, including if you want to do videos on this stuff, um, do it because you, like, you love doing it, not because of the money, not because uh, you're you know, trying to get views or trying to boost your ego. Like do it because uh, that's what you love doing, and that's what's going to keep you going. That passion. 
Well, speaking of passion and um, kind of trying to move back to the focus of the show, I noticed you have several hunting videos on your channel, and they're actually some of your most popular. Uh, would you say it's it's difficult as essentially a, a one-man operation, filming, being out in the field, uh, getting those opportunities, and then kind of trying to, to fill the space of showing what you're doing? Because I noticed, I don't know if it's the same for you guys, you, watch, you can watch a lot of hunting content, videos, etc., and it doesn't really capture the full story. And, and there's a lot that kind of gets left by the wayside because just time constraints, that's just the reality of it. And when you're a one-man show, do you find it's even more difficult to find stuff to include or, or do you find that there's just this voracious attitude or sorry, voracious appetite rather for hunting content on YouTube? What's, what's your thoughts, Steve? Yeah. And no, I, and, or these hunting shows, uh, they, they just, they either show too much or they show too little. They don't capture the right points. Um, I, I think the most important thing for me is to have multiple cameras with multiple memory cards always loaded up. So you always have, you're not dealing with issues like low battery um, or running out of storage and just always running, always trying to film as much as you can. Like when I have my bow out, I have my GoPro attached to it. It's always on when I, I have my, my camera going and you, you kind of get a sense of when you, when you know you're going into an area where there could potentially be deer then that's when you're on high alert to turn on all your 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 camera devices, right? So you want to capture as much as possible, but it takes a little bit of instinct to know when to turn that on. So have you ever had any issues? Our hunting season's quite cold. You ever had any technical issues out in the cold that have, have proved challenging, or have you found that they're rather easy to mitigate? Yeah, I mean, battery I'm, life is lower. Oh, I'm gonna prompt you on maybe not a like a electronics technical issue. But when we were in university, uh, we went on a hunt up at Sundry there, and we had uh, Mike Carrier's uh, camper. And we had a good idea. I think it was a good idea that we were going to heat a bunch of rocks because he bought this old camper and tore out the propane heater because it was garbage, and he bought this camper for next to nothing. And uh, we... Our idea was to take all these rocks, heat them in the fire, put them in a big pot, and uh, lay them down on the floor of this, like, uh, it was like like a back of a pickup truck camper. And it worked great until we woke up in the middle of the night. And... uh-huh, and 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 no, no, I was waiting for Steve to oh, but yeah, you're uh, I, do I do remember you do remember this oh, Jesus, where the rocks just like melted their way through the pot. I'd like, I'd like to take a pause and, and acknowledge that this is a, a podcast about drinking. There was. But part of this idea involved drinking. Yeah. So. Every, every, but everyone is waiting <laughs> right, with baby. All, right, all right, Steve, can you, can you fill in the spaces there for me for the love of God? <laughs> but do you remember waking up? <laughs> oh, my God. I'm a heavy sleeper. Steve, I'm trying to get you to say, I remember waking up because well, I, think he was I just, am a really heavy sleeper. Yeah, these And rocks, I'm pretty sure you shook me these, awake. These rocks that we had bur- like burned for hours in the fire were, lo and behold, burning through the pan that we put them in and the floor of the trailer. So it was <laughs> the fuck was this pan made out of? It was, like, was it a juice? Uh, it was like some shitty enamel canning yeah, pan. I don't know. 
We were university students. But this no, is what, what we I, had. What I remember the it's most about that hunting trip is Blair's terrible snoring, and I wanted to oh, murder him. Oh, yes. My snoring was worse than the fact that we were burning the bottom out of the trailer. Yeah, well, your snoring was And bad. we had to wake up, and in the middle of the night, when it was minus 30 outside, in our gym, and powerbomb... Burning ass red hot rocks out of the camper. Yeah, I didn't mind that. The snoring was worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've had the misfortune <laughs> of having a room with Blair a few times. So anyway, I'm trying to go fuck. back. Where the hell were we? What the fuck were we we're doing? We're talking about the technical difficulties you can have. Oh, as, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't the talk about like going on the technical difficulties you can have hunting and I... Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. Rocks came out. So way too hot of rocks is very technology. And, uh, you know what? I'm not going to lie. I'm so glad this is a booze-induced podcast because that's just... Uh, <laughs> I love these I love these twists and turns. I never, I'm never, uh, i never quite sure. I'm sorry. That's... It's an extremely vivid memory that I still have nightmares about. Christ. Is waking up suffocating from hot rock smoke. <laughs> okay, so camera gear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, like, like, to keep it short, I mean, batteries are very bad in the cold and battery life runs out really quickly. Everything is harder in the cold. And that go, that, that, that's the same for, for trying to film something in the wilderness or whether you're hunting. Everything is just harder when it gets colder. And that's really when you have to pump up the willpower, especially when you're hunting in a blind, uh, yeah. you're static hunting. You need to be more uh, aware. You need to really like what I like to do when I'm in that situation and I want to quit. And it's like minus 30 out and I'm getting super cold is I just go like five seconds at a time or 15 seconds at a time. Like I Short count to 15, goals, right? yeah. I count to 15 and then I count, I start counting to 15 again and I just yes, keep on steps. watching my arcs and I keep on counting to 15 over and over again. And that, and that keeps me going for a lot longer than if it's just like, Oh, I'm just thinking about how cold I am. It's uh, it's kind of like being on a really shitty OP duty, isn't it? Yeah. It, yeah, it can be when you're static. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So what's your, what's your favorite terrain to hunt, Steve? Do you prefer closed country? Do you prefer more open prairie? Do you prefer foothills? The mountains We're we're blessed here in the Canadian Rockies. We've got some really good, uh, well, we've got a varied terrain, everything from the Badlands to the prairies to the mountains. You name it, it's here in Alberta. Yeah, I, lo- I love the foothills. I, I, my, that's where my heart is, really, like uh, getting into the woods um, where there's there's good sight lines still. There's cut lines. There might be oil pipelines because we're in Alberta and they're, they're everywhere, natural gas pipelines. They're good to hunt, though. They're awesome and they're, yeah. very, pro- pro- they're very productive to hunt. And and just like being, uh, with, uh, having the trees as cover and just like the interesting terrain I think probably the my least favorite is the prairies. Like you're you're just dealing with uh, contours. Like you're trying to go down a coulee or trying to uh, sneak around uh, the the contour of the earth, basically to to sneak up on a on a herd of mule deer or something. That's the most challenging uh, and and least interesting hunting for me. Oh wow, wow, that's totally. Uh... A contrast. I I prefer hunting on the prairie. I love the space. I love uh, I love the challenge of it. But you know what? To each their own, and that's one of the great things about hunting here in Alberta. So, well, what is, is your? Because in Alberta, if you we have all of all of the crown land, all of your access, and generally, yeah, we have all the access. And it's all crown land. It's all tight foothills country. You can't hunt prairie land unless you have.
Yeah, unless you have... Okay, then. Uh, yeah, right, 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 I need to describe... Let's, let's describe yeah, the situation. Yeah, cut that out. So what's, uh, like Mark is like trying to uh, put Blair's head back to the microphone because he's turning his head to the side. Turning his head and no one can hear him. And uh, I'm trying to be stealthy on that, but you know what? Hey, this is the Hard Liquor and Hunting Stories podcast. So That's right. It's an inevitable. The more of these uh, beautiful concoctions, thank you, Cassandra, that you serve us, um, well, the less skilled at our craft we're perhaps going to be. But anyway, Steve... Your favorite quarry in the field. What's the number one thing you go at in the field in the fall? White-tailed deer are my favorite quarry. They're the most challenging to hunt. Um, and so, they're the ones that I enjoy the most. So uh, rifle, or what's what's your gear like when you go to the field? How do you like, do you like to pack light? Are you a little more prepared? Are you a boy scout prepared for everything? Yeah, I mean, this this goes to a bit of like hunting philosophy. Like, um, like do you believe in the super high tech gear, the latest camo patterns, or are you more of a, a person that believes that, you know, deer are, uh, just, uh, view, view things on a different visual spectrum. They see more blue, they see, uh, almost no red. It's just grayscale to them. Uh, but everything towards the blue and purple end of the spectrum is, uh, is more, more visible. Uh, I'm more of the camp that, uh, deer, are, are are able to um, just perceive um, more more sh- more shapes uh, and uh, so I and and colors on on the uh, on the blue end of the visual spectrum. That's a bit scientific, I know, so, but well, no, no, well, you're that, right, you're right, you're yeah, right. If, but how does if that, our, yeah? If our listeners want to have some fun, just Google Hawaiian shirt deer hunting. Well, and you'll you'll find some really fun photos of. People wearing Hawaiian shirts while they're bow hunting. I only wear a Hawaiian shirt underwear. The trick is just but. to break up. Your, <laughs> it's just to break up your pattern. Like you can you can be hunting with um, just. A, I think I think Blair, Blair is uh, Blair, Blair is, is motioning like for some motioning cocktails for here. something. Oh, he's motioning for like a yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Pass premium. that off. Okay, so we're passing. I, that I would off. like to sh- give a give a big shout. So out yeah, to it's our just it's just breaking up. It's just breaking up your profile, and that's what I believe in. Whether you're going out um, with a um, you know, I I just sometimes I'll just wear like a plaid shirt that's just red and black. Uh, so bring, bring it back to the old school. Yeah, and that worked. There's a reason that people were able to wear that back in the day. Oh, I just thought it was because it was warm, and you know. Anyway, oh wow, we we killed the bottle there. Fantastic. So so Steve, how would you say? Um, okay, so cam and concealment obviously come from the military. It's a very near and dear thing to our heart. We care about the look cool factor, if you will, the sneak factor. What's uh what's your main approach to hunting? Are you more of an ambush hunter, a spot and stock? What's uh what's your approach? Do you do a lot of recce or sorry scouting uh, before you uh, hit I'm an area? Definitely, I'm definitely a still hunter. I. Uh, you know, if I have time, I'll scout ahead of time, but I'll, I'll choose the best area to post up and then I'll just post there and then I'll sit as still as possible for as long as possible and wait for something to walk by. So, I, oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so what do you look for when you're picking your spot? I look for something that is in the shadows. It's got a nice uh, backdrop behind me that breaks up my pattern. Uh, it's It's got some nice sight lines where I have you know, two to three areas where I could see, I could visualize a deer coming and, and having a good shot there and I can range it out and uh, not too much, not too much of a sight line. Like I don't like to set up on the edge of a, a giant open field because, you know, you can see a lot, but also you can be seen by a lot. So I, I prefer like much, much more like um, an overgrown cut line with lots more cover. And there's two or three areas where I could, where I could take a deer. Rock on. So 
thinking of that approach, is it, are there any hunts that you're kind of keen to do? I know the world's kind of shut down right now. But if there was one place you'd go hunt, are there any hunts internationally or even just in North America, throughout North America, that have kind of perked your interest? You know, I mean, I, I've always wanted to go uh, sheep hunting. Like that's always been like a fantasy of mine. Like it's super, it's super exclusive and it takes a long time to get a tag. But yeah. I mean, if I, yeah, if like I, no, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go anywhere in the world. I, I would go to the Rocky mountains. I would go sheep hunting. That would be oh. my dream hunt. Hey, hey this is now. your year. It's, this is the year. Yeah. There's lots of, uh, well, doll sheep. Um, shit. I'm trying to remember the name of the other one. Stone sheep available. They're a little more, uh, they're a little more up there. In terms of price range, um, you're just with the border closed and everything else, or just goats. Yeah, yeah, mount goat very uh, a very challenging hunt. Mount goat is great hunt, but this is the year. It's the year for you to do it though, because we can't let uh, well all the border closures and I don't know if I don't know if folks know this, but uh, half of the game animals shot in Canada are shot by Americans. Well, it's a it's a concern right now with the border closed, what's going to happen for all these local guides and everything. So I really encourage everybody to go out. There's a lot of opportunity out there. You're supporting local business. You get to go out in the field. You get to enjoy this beautiful gift of nature that we've just been so fortunate to have here in Canada. And um, so, Steve, looking back, sorry, you're, you're a BC boy originally, aren't you? I am, yeah. Born oh, and raised man. in Kelowna. So born and raised Alberta guy. I just want to say boo, but I'll, give you, that, I'll no, give you a chance. Actually, I never smoked weed when I was growing up. In uh, You grew it, though. You know what? I don't believe you Allegedly. at all. But anyway, this is Canada. We're, le- <laughs> we're legal here. So anyway, you can do whatever you want. I'm not one to judge. So what? Uh, when you came to Alberta, because I'm sure you probably had some kind of conceptions of hunting growing up in BC, especially kind of the hilly terrain, really close country. How did that kind of shape your understanding of hunting once you came here? Yeah, I actually had a really good friend gr- growing up that uh, that hunted a lot, but I, I never went out with him or anything. Um, were, uh, were your families, or sorry, correction, were your parents granolas, Steve? They, they, were they a little more of the they were they some of the granola? I don't oh, know. okay. Well, I don't know. It's, yeah. you know, it's no, a stereotype, my, right? But maybe anyway. my mom is a little bit. My dad is not granola, though. Oh, by the way, make sure you thank Josie for the uh, the continued 14 years of Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah, That's she, quite uh, nice of your mom. Uh, she loves <laughs> it. She, I'm so <laughs> jealous she that she you. gives you she Valentine's you. gifts and not uh, me. You know what? I think it's a, I think it's a thing, something everybody's parents do. They heap love and praise on everybody else's kids to make yeah. you feel shame. <sighs> your mom doesn't do that to me. I know. Total bummer for Steve, <laughs> right? <laughs> but anyway, anyway, sorry. Sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll carry on. So, so back to... Back to your understanding of wilderness and how yeah how it was I, I mean BC is much more closed in you can't see anything there there's a, unless you're hunting an area uh, w- which was recently hit by a forest fire and it's got some new growth then there's some more open sight lines uh, a lot of logging truck roads but coming to Alberta it's much more open hunting you can see a herd you can you can you can do different ta- tactics like spot and stock it's much more difficult to do that in in BC where it's much more closed in but yeah my 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 perception of hunting in Alberta is that it's uh, more wide open spaces, more more varied terrain, and uh, but there, there are benefits, right? Like the weather is usually much more clear. It's there's more sunny days, and uh, it's it's um, it's just more more enjoyable hunting. So did you do a lot of? There's a lot of lakes in the interior of BC. There's a lot of good fishing opportunities. Did you ever do any fishing? A lot of lake time. I, I did. Like yeah, that? I grew up going fishing with my with my father uh, quite a bit. 
um, on a lot of weekends going up to high mountain lakes and, and doing, doing fishing. And it was, uh, it was, I don't fish anymore though. I mean, that's, <laughs> it can happen. There's only, uh, there's only so much time really. Well, you're like me. Uh, I grew up in Manitoba where we like fish and you grew up in BC where interior where you like fish. And now we live in Alberta where Calgary foothills, it's all fly fishing, right? That's so true, actually. Yeah, yeah. Or like ri- even river fishing uh, in, yeah. in BC, probably Man- Manitoba is like the isn't it like the province of lakes or something. Yeah, yeah. I, well, what? How big is Lake <laughs> Manitoba? Big. Massive. Like, well, it should Lake, be a great yeah, lake, yeah. But lake nobody, well, and uh, Lake Winnipeg is sorry, on the list lake? of top like. Five or ten biggest lakes in the world. Sorry, is Lake Winnipeg the bigger one, or is it Lake Manitoba that's the no? One? It's Lake Winnipeg's the bigger one, and Lake mm-hmm. Manitoba's the smaller, skinnier one. And then what's the name? There's an abandoned, or sorry, there's a, an ancient Great Lake in Manitoba. Is there not? There's like a certain kind of stone they get out of there. Oh no, there's there's a name for oh, God. What is it called? Are you familiar? Agassiz. Lake Agassiz was the lake, the prehistoric lake that all of Manitoba was enveloped of long ago. Okay. And now it only exists on is uh, the big federal prison is named Agassiz Prison. This is the section of the show where it's like, the more you know, and the rainbow Did it goes uh, Yeah, yeah. If this was a visual show. You but it, it is. There's lakes everywhere. around in a really hot room. <laughs> really sweaty. Off. <laughs> Air conditioning is quite rare in Canada. Or Canada, if you're Australian. Huh. Um, but the, the yeah. room we're currently sitting in, it's uh, yeah, it's above my garage. Yeah, it's poorly lit. It's covered by relics of my family's military history, and uh, you know, it's a great, it's a, it's a great location. It's a great night. It's a Friday. We're oh. having a time, and I'm not gonna lie. Here in this back, after having uh, having a whole bunch of those uh, really unique old fashions. Um, we'll, we'll do a showcase of what we were having on podcast there. So, or a correction on Instagram. So make sure you follow us on there. But anyhow, I, uh, I, Steve, are there, are you part of any, um, hunting fraternal organizations or anything like that? Like, uh, is there anything kind of on your conservation radar that you've been focusing on that you're concerned about? Um, anything you'd like to share with us in kind of that respect? You know, I'd like to say that there, that there is, but, uh, there's, there's, there's nothing that, I feel very strongly about at this time that I would want to bring up. Well, here I'll ask you. Um, so as a big game hunter and you're essentially that's, that's your mainstay is big game hunting. Correct. Would it be fair to say that? Yep. So that's my jam. Nice. Nice. So how, how do you feel about the wait time for tags currently in Alberta? Cause I know that's a, a, a major sticking point in Alberta and I'm sure it is in a lot of other jurisdictions yeah, as well. Everywhere. Well, okay. So, I mean, why, why are the wait times long? They're long because a lot of people might uh, put in for a draw without the intention of ever, um, of ever pursuing that, that animal, or they might, um, have their wife put in for draws and she doesn't hunt. Like it's just to, to pump up your priority. Like there are, I think some like instances of gaming the system that could be the problem, or maybe it's just because like hunting as a sport in Alberta is becoming much more popular. There's a lot more people getting interested in it and trying to break into the sport. Right. Um, like, so I, a, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Just to jump in real quick. Like I think there was a report the other day. It came out that Alberta is one of the few jurisdictions in North America where the numbers of hunters are actually increasing from the 1980s. Definitely. So it's definitely um, people are kind of 
I don't want to say going back to nature because that's not necessarily fair, but a hundred mile diet, taking ownership of their food has become more and more popular. And I don't know. I don't know. Do you feel there's more interest in big game than small game in this province? Um, What's your thoughts, Steve? I think that there's more, well, I don't have any data to back this up, but I think there's more interest in big game because of the lifestyle and the perception of it. And like the, I guess the sexiness factor, um, and the, you know, the guns attached to the whole thing, uh, people are very interested in that. Um, but I think as a whole, I, I think it's a good thing that the sport is becoming more popular, more people are getting interested in it and, and wait times are longer, but I, I don't feel like, you know, I'm losing out on any opportunities or I'm getting to hunt any, any less than I, I was before. Um, and I, I think there's a, there's definitely, you could have a perception that like, well, this is, this is the sport that I've done my whole life. And I've always done the same thing every year. I've always gone to the same spot. And, um, you know, now that's kind of being taken away from me or, or it's making it harder because more entrants are coming into the sport. Um, I don't really know how I feel about that. I, I think that, I think that it's a good thing though, that, that more people are getting interested because at the end of the day, it means more money for conservation. It means that there's, there's only going to be 100%. more. Yeah, yeah, I mean, deer totally in the future in Alberta, yeah. and so, so and just to, no, just to bounce on a Blair being uh, being from a, an, another province. So, how would you define Manitoba hunters? Would you say they're more kind of slanted towards big game? Is it a mix, small game? What what do you, what do you feel like uh, in relation to that? In Manitoba, you can get trap licenses, and that handles all the small game, but big game, and actually this year. The the province is realizing it. My my father like my father has seen his forty ninth bear this summer on their campsite, which is in an RV campground. Because in Manitoba, there's about a, a bear pop. There's like a floating bear population in southern Manitoba, about twenty thousand bears. And every year, Americans shoot about five hundred of them. And they didn't get to shoot it this year. So they're, the bear population is exploded there. and That's, that's black bear, right? North American black bear. Sorry, yeah, black bear. North American black bear. It's exploded. Because black bear hunting isn't big in Manitoba. And it's by the citizens. It's all Americans. And they couldn't come here this year. And there's a ton of black bears. Well, that's a, that's a total bummer. So... You heard it right from the horse's mouth. I, I don't know how officially you want to take uh, Blair from Manitoba. But, hey, if you're looking for bear opportunity, it seems as though there's uh, prolific opportunities out in Manitoba. Well, my dad's my dad's one of those old man weirdos. He's He has a picture of every black bear he's son from 1 to 44. Oh, man, that's a lot of, that's a lot of Polaroids he's got to deal with. Oh, so anyway, yeah. gentlemen, I... Uh, I hate to say it, but unfortunately, we're coming we're coming to the end of our podcast here. Um, Steve, I'd like to thank you for having you on the podcast. I'd yeah, like, thank uh, you for having me. This has been great. I'd like to thank you for taking the time to come out, um, have quite a few drinks with us. I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to going to the back video after after this because the more and more cocktails we get deep I feel like the conversation really has gotten gotten really really kind of interesting uh, and, and yeah. kind of jaggled along the way I think um, it's, I think it's gotten better but anyway uh, if yeah. you want to if you want to check Steve out um, Steve would YouTube. you youtube.com slash smoke trails barbecue 
BBQ. Smoke Trails BBQ. Smoke Trails Barbecue. Uh, Steve, what are the majority of your videos covering? Just uh, just in case we have anybody who's interested. What, do, what would you say? Uh, what you, what's your most proud content? The proudest content that I have is teaching people in a very detailed manner how to make brisket, ribs, pork, chicken, all of the barbecue essentials. That's what I... That's my bread and butter. Oh, okay. Mm. Okay. I was leaning more towards brisket because that's the one where I feel like everybody scratches their head, including myself. Oh, and trust me. I've made many, plenty of bad brisket, and as a result, I can now make good brisket. Yeah, I've eaten them. They're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, fantastic. Well, viewers, or correction, listeners, I'd like to thank you for sticking with us. Uh, all the best in the fall. Happy hunting, and we'll see you shortly with a new guest, new stories, and a new cocktail. Mm-hmm.